in Luke, where we had the reading earlier, I'll speak to you this evening on the subject of Joseph, the father of John. And of course, when we began our reading for this month, for today, it took us in this section of reading, and uh, I was captivated by it and wanted to just tonight make you aware of some things and how God worked in some people's lives. The same God would like to work in your life, but you have to pay attention to God. And uh, he, uh, he will uh, definitely work if you will give Him your, your attention. Uh, pretty amazing thing. You had this couple. You have uh, Zacharias. I said Joseph, didn't I? I mean, uh, you have Zacharias. I, did, I said that, didn't I? Yeah, thank you. My goodness. Like I said, I want to preach tonight about uh, Moses and the ark he built. Uh, try that again. Try Zacharias, the son of John. And uh, the son of John? No. I'm going home now. <laughs> try, try, try this. Try Zacharias, the father of John. And uh, that would be actually what it should say. And uh, we'll try that again. And I don't even know what I may have written on Brother Dan's card, but just change it to fit that. So whatever goes with that, all right? And so <laughs> here we go. You can know it's going to be interesting, right? Um, in the days, days of Herod, you had this couple, Zacharias, right? I got that right? And uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And uh, they, uh, it's pretty interesting. These were both godly people. They uh, were people who served the Lord and that was part of their job. Zacharias was of the priesthood, and I do have, I do have that down, believe it or not, and uh, of the course of Abathar, which was their heritage coming down in through the priesthood. And uh, Elizabeth was from the family from which the priest came, as well as Zacharias. And um, so these folks, are, are their life's been around serving God. And the priesthood, part of what it does is teaches, it taught people the Word of God and uh, performed the uh, different uh, functions of worship that they had at the tabernacle and then in the temple. And so they had been around that and apparently it meant more to them than just ceremony. I mean, they grew up around it. They were from that, but they, uh, to them it was very real. I'm always grateful for that. Uh, people who've been around the work of the Lord all their life, maybe raised in church, been around the Bible, and it matters to them. God matters to them. I always love to see that. It's, it's always encouraging. It's an important thing. And so they were that way. And uh, here they are, yet there is a, uh, there's, there's in their life something that is, uh, in their life, something they wanted, to, they wanted to have and did not have, and that was a child. And they were ministering, and, and of course, Zacharias was ministering in the temple, Notice in verse 2 about this, or verse 6 rather about this, it says, And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. It's interesting. Um, they, they use their heritage well. And verse 7 talks about that, uh, how they did that. Say they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. They had some strong disappointments. And yet, in the midst of their strong disappointments, they continued to walk with God. And they walked blameless. I don't know if there was ever any point in their life where there was a uh, temptation to blame God or 
you know, put that on God and say, hey, you know, why, why are we not? We're trying to serve God. It's a very, very important thing to us to have a family. An important thing for us. And yet, we don't have that. But what the Bible says is they followed the Lord blamelessly. And uh, one thing that took me about this, once I realized you know, who Zacharias was and got that all straightened out, um, they, <clears throat> was the fact of the, they just stayed at it for the Lord through the disappointments, through heartache, through things that they didn't understand, through things that came along, and they stayed steady with that. Now, it, it's always easy to continue on a certain direction when things are going well in that direction. But when you're bogged down and weighted down with uh, things in your own lives that can make you wonder and question, it becomes a uh, trial of our strength and our faith uh, to continue in the way that God wants us to continue. They did that. They kept following the Lord. I've got to know, what did I put on that card, Dan? Did I put Joseph? Yes. Did you catch it and change it to Zacharias? No. Yeah, it needs to. I don't know. Joseph isn't in here. I've confused you because I confused me. Sorry about that for my friend. And um, you know, the cards are a great thing though since we started doing that, Brother Dan. And I'll tell you why they're so good because now you have proof positive I'm the one causing the trouble. <laughs> you can point at me and say, he's the one to blame. He caused all my pain. Um, and so during the time of disappointment, they... Uh, they just continued on. Uh, we do not live in a life where all disappointments get resolved. There are obviously heartaches, disappointments, these things come. And yet, people who are able to keep going forward in their life, be successful as the Lord counts success, um, there are people who just keep on the right track no matter what's happening. Um, whether they understand all the details of things or not. I said in our class this morning, uh, part of the amazing thing about Abraham and him going to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, he made a statement of faith in verse 5 there in Genesis 22 and verse 5, and he told his servants, he said, I and the lad will go and will come. He said, we're going to go up yonder and worship and then we'll come again. And, and, and will come again is exactly what it says. And that's a statement of faith. He said, we're going, we're going to come again. He said, I'm glad we're going to do this. But he was going to sacrifice. He was going to sacrifice his son and not just sacrifice, which would be brutal enough, but as a burnt offering. In, Hebrews, uh, in the book of Hebrews, when it explains that, explains what was happening and it tells you how Abraham's mind worked at that time and what he was thinking. He counted that God was able to raise him up from the dead. Now, he didn't know how that was going to work. He didn't know how that was going to be accomplished. Here's what he knew. He knew that he had received that son as it were from the dead. Sarah's 90 years old. This was not a thing within the natural realm of what you would consider for having a child and such. And then, he knew that God had promised He was going to bless the world through that child. He had those two things. He had the promise of God and he had the past performance of God. 
Based on that, the Bible said he staggered not in unbelief. Now, we get confused, and Zacharias and Elizabeth didn't do this, but we get confused when we try to figure out how God's going to do what He's going to do next. I've told you before, you get, watch, watch sometime when you're praying. I don't want you to get paranoid about your praying, but this is a growth thing. Pay attention to the way you're praying sometime and see if you're asking and seeking God's will and seeking to be uh, obedient and pliable in His hands. Or if you're giving God all kinds of good suggestions about how to get done what you want to get done. A lot of times praying is a lot of that. God, take care of this, this, and this. It's funny, if you listen to yourself pray sometimes, you'll get very detailed. God, would you please move on this person in this way so they will do this? From God's perspective, that has to be pretty funny. Here's what, can you do this and do this in this way? And then when things aren't falling in order the way we think, is it like, well, why isn't God doing it? Well, (laughs) as I said this morning about Him being our shepherd, lesson number one, He's in charge, we're not. And so, Herod, Herod, (laughs) I I can't get Zacharias in this message for anything. I'm going to try to do the man's service. He's the one I'm preaching about. I called him Joseph, now I'm calling him Herod. Who knows who he'll be next? Um, but the title king of nations? I don't know what I'll call it. Um, but Zacharias, uh, he and Elizabeth continued to serve God with disappointment going on. Look down in the rest of the verses here with it. They, they not only did that, but uh, they're, they're well stricken in years. Verse 7, at the end of that, they're coming to a time of expectation of things. They're, they're, they're maybe in their mind saying, well, I, I guess we're not going to have any children, but I want to show you something about that. In verse 8, it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office, he did what he was supposed to do as a priest, Zacharias did, before God in the order of his course. Now what that term means is he had a certain job. There was something he was supposed to do. People had certain jobs assigned to him. This is what they would take care of. If you were a Kothite, you were going to be carrying things, moving things, working with that type of thing. Uh, These who were uh, after the order and following Abathar, the priest, they were... Uh, there was a certain job he had to do. Look what it is. Verse 9, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot, what he, he was supposed to do, was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. The altar of incense was not a large altar. I was amazed. I had never really captured how the fact it's not very big. The top of it's a cubit by a cubit. That's about distance from the elbow to... But it's a, it's a small thing. It's not very tall. It had a crown of gold on it, so it had this ridge area on the top. There's a reason for that. It was made like the other furnishings of the temple, previously of the tabernacle, where it had these golden rings built into it so you could carry it without touching it. It was overlaid completely with gold, so it had some weight to it because it was, you know, covered, covered with the gold. But they would make what was called sweet incense. How many of you know what incense is, alright? How many of you have ever smelled incense? How many of you have ever said cross-legged enchanted voice? Never mind. I don't want to. And, and so you had the... I really don't want to know, okay? Let it be under the blood. Um, but at this altar of incense, they would come in, they would burn that, and that would go up. And they were near the veil with that. 
But what that altar of incense was about was about prayer. Not making that up, and you're going to see it in the account here. That incense going up, that sweet aroma going up, was a picture and is a picture of the prayer of God's people going up to God. And God's saying that's a sweet fragrance. That's something I enjoy. And, and, and those, some of you who have uh, heightened olfactory senses, you say, what is that? You, you can smell things very, uh, very distinctly. Okay? And uh, some of us are lacking in that particular area. It just, we, we're not, don't have it. But some of you do. And boy, I tell you, you fragrances, I mean, something that smells good, you really enjoy that. It, it, it's it's funny to watch. Uh, Logan and my wife, you know, he'll get a new cologne. Mom, you got to smell this one, that, and I don't know. I, really, if something's strong enough, I can smell it most of the time. I'll ask my wife, does this stink? I can smell it. <laughs> and I'm suspicious that if I can smell it, it probably stinks, you know? And uh, so, but people who enjoy that, it's, 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 uh, it's very much blesses them. I can smell lilacs. They really smell pretty to me. Um, Watermelon, glory to God, I can smell watermelon from a long way off. I like it. It smells like cut hay to me. Um, but they, it does. <laughs> Sister Sheila likes the smell of skunks. Don't you? That's legit. So if anybody sees a skunk along the road, take it down to my sheep. No, Who de la skunk? Amen? Um, she does. He said, why is that? There's several whys attached to that, dear sister. I don't know. <laughs> Think I'm Miss Sheila and I. But with God, there's a, there's a enjoyment. He breathes in His people's prayers. They're talking to me. They believe in me. They're searching me out. They're depending on me. With all the cacophony that has to come to God's ears from this troubled and broken world in which we live, how sweet must be the sound with all the stench of brokenness and sin there is in this world, how sweet must be the fragrance that comes to the ears of our Savior to the nostrils of our Savior when His people worship Him and when His people talk to Him. So Zacharias, I'm tuned in now on his name, Zacharias, his job was to offer up incense. Now watch this. This is really neat. Zacharias and Elizabeth could not have any children. It was a grief to them. And he, by his job, what he did, Serving the Lord. Day after day, month after month, during the course when he was there, he did something that was leading God's people to prayer. And yet, he's well stricken in years and has not yet had a prayer answered that he wasn't answered. So how do you know he's praying about it? Let's read on and find out. Verse 9 again, we'll reset there. According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Now watch what happens. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without, they're not in that inner part, at the time of incense. 
It was a time when they collectively prayed together. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. That would have been startling, would it not? And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Yes? He just appears there. Okay? And the angel said unto him, watch it, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is what? I wonder how long that had been. And I wonder, while there seemed to be fading hope of what they desired, namely a child, he continued on in prayer. He kept praying. He said, For thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. Look how specific. And thou shalt call his name John. By the way, the first time you have the name John appear in uh, Matthew is the first time you have that name appear in the Bible. There's a Hebrew name that's the equivalent of it in the Old Testament. It shows up with either seven or eight men. It's Johanan. But the first time you have John show up, it's with John. Now it's going to be important after a bit when you see the reaction when the child's born. And so Gabriel, we find out, Gabriel says to him, he says, your prayer's heard. Isn't that good news? Your wife's going to have a child. More good news. And his name is John. God decided that. God wants him named John. John means God is gracious. God is a gracious giver. Now think about this. This is John the Baptist that this is talking about. The forerunner of Jesus Christ, the one who prepared people for Christ, his parents were from the priesthood. And they went before from them as the child that goes before Christ. And he was a child that was prayed for. And so... Let's see what, what happens here. He tells him that. Verse 14, he says, Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. Well, what news to get? Not only that they're going to have a child, but God's going to use this child, and this child's going to be used, and not just used, but look in verse 15, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. Can you imagine that news? The child, every decent Christian couple wants their child to be honest before the Lord and serve the Lord. Uh, they may not have any particular dreams or aspirations. A lot of times it's better not to the particular course of that child's life. It's not our place to choose and plan the course of the child's life. But it's in the heart of every decent Christian couple that want their child to serve God and know Him and be honest before God. And to have the news, not only you have a child, but that child's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. Not great among men. Not famous in the world. But God's going to count him as great. <laughs> what kind of wonderful news is that? I mean, that's kind of overwhelming, really. And he tells him that. And then, verse 15 again, he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. So, what has destroyed so many people is not going to be. A problem with him. And then something that's almost completely unique, it isn't, but is just very limited where you have this. Um, Jeremiah was named a prophet to the nations before he, uh, 
at, at birth. But here, look what it says, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. You say, I'd like that for one of my children. His name's not John Lee Baptist. It ain't happening. This is unique. Sort of like I said this morning in my class, uh, nobody else but Abraham was ever asked to go sacrifice their son that way. People sometimes see something in the Bible and think, you know, oh, that's what we duplicate. Yeah? That's why people, people have them trying to... And I'm going to use the word on purpose here if you know the meaning of it. They try to conjure up miracles. And that's exactly what's happening, by the way. Um, I use that word purposely if you know the meaning of it. It's attached to mysticism instead of godly spirituality. But it is... Uh, a lot of times people want to duplicate things. You know, They'll do that with the old tongues thing. They don't even know what the tongues are in Acts. They don't know that's another language. So they try to duplicate with some kind of ecstatic utterances. They hadn't been around that stuff. I have been, you know. The group I was with ran with the group that did that. I mean, or Roberts University, no joke, and some of you don't know what that name is, but it was pretty famous at one time. Actually, I had classes to teach people how to speak in tongues. Now go figure that one out. It's supposed to be an ecstatic utterance that God gave you, and you have classes to teach it? Something wrong with that. Amen? Um, and so people will say, oh, we had the same experience they did at Pentecost. You know what they never had? I never in all my, all my associations with folks, all my crossing over of the different, uh, uh, knowing the different people and being involved with lines that crossed over with all those groups. Do you know what they never did? They never duplicated the rushing mighty wind. Never tried to. Never duplicated the cloven tongue and fire. All they did was rattled off something and said that was the tongue I was talking about. Kind of funny, isn't it? God's not splitting the Red Sea again. And He's no less God because He's not, because that's not what He's doing now. Amen. <laughs> and so what happened with them, John was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. That's absolutely amazing. By the way, what was John's main thing? What did he do? He pointed everybody to Jesus Christ, didn't he? Well, that's very consistent with the teaching in the Bible that the Holy Ghost causes us to uplift Christ. So how do you know if a person's Spirit-filled? They've had some kind of experience. They will be very consistently telling people about Jesus Christ because it's the natural outflow because the Holy Spirit is God, Jesus is God, and He wants to tell people about Him. When He's in you and when, he, when, when His influence is strong in you, you find yourself with a bunch of unexpected witnesses opportunities and you can talk to people about the Lord. And so anyway, heading down here with this, look what happens. And so he says he'll be filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. Verse 16, many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Very, very many. Entire cities and villages emptied out to come here, John, later. Verse 17, and he shall go before him, before the Lord, in the Spirit, there's the small s, and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. You talk about a consistent recipe in the Bible for real revival. And by the way, that harkens back to the last verses in the book of Malachi, the last verses in the Old Testament, that the hearts of the fathers have to turn to the children. The hearts of the fathers turn to the children. Not to their games. Not to their careers. Although it's appropriate for a man to give his heart and his life to, to that career that he's made for work. But not at the expense, not in place of having his heart for his children. 
caring about them, knowing them, loving them, building a relationship towards them, all these things. And he said, He shall turn to the Lord their God. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's what we do. That's what he did. Then look what happens. <laughs> and there had to be a tone to this that Gabriel did not like. It's interesting. It's almost word for word the same thing Mary said when Gabriel... Gabriel was very busy these days. And when Mary was told that she was going to have a child and she said, how shall this be? Seeing that I know not a man. She was not rebuked for it or anything else. God explained it to her. Almost the same wording is what Zacharias asked. He pays a price for it. And I looked at those things and I thought, hmm, there's something there about the way he asked it, about what went on. There's something pleasing to the Lord in it. I can't explain to you exactly what it was. I just know what the results are. So let's look at the results. Verse 18, And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. By the way, just as a side, I, I admire Zacharias for something there. Notice how he phrased that. He's a smart guy. I'm an old man. My wife's well stricken in years. That's, that's, I like his wording. That's good. And the angel, the angel, angel, I don't know what an angel is. The angel, <laughs> um, the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren has lost it. And am sent to speak unto thee and to show these, these glad tidings. Now, there's something about the fact he's bringing this good news and the way Zacharias responded to it. And behold, thou shalt be dumb. That means he doesn't know nothing? No, it means he can't speak. That's the proper use of that word. He said, you just lost your ability to talk. Zacharias says, how's this going to happen? Out and now in the world, our situation, you know, so many words and... Gabriel said, I stand in the presence of God. And you're not going to talk anymore until this is done. What a double blessing Elizabeth was getting. A child and a silent husband. <laughs> what a blessing. <laughs> yeah, enjoy that one. I'm not trying to make light of the Bible at all. But it was. Think about what that would be like. Now, now watch this. This fascinated me when I read it. Verse 20 again, And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak. Not able to. It's, just not, it's done. Until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. There's something different about Mary said, how's, how's this going to happen? She still believed God. And of course she said, Be it unto thy handmaiden according to the Lord. But... Something about Zacharias was a statement of unbelief. And you know what's amazing about that? Is he had prayed so long. I mean, Gabriel says, your prayer is heard, answered. He just kept praying, kept praying. But <laughs> and So he said that to him. Verse 21, And the people waited for Zacharias. She said, why wasn't he allowed to talk? As near as I can tell, it's because he didn't believe the words of Gabriel. Gabriel said, you don't believe my words. You're not going to get to use any words. So this is done. He shut it down. Verse, verse 21, The people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. 
He was in there longer than usual, longer than it usually took for him to do what he did. And they're wondering about that. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. Imagine they quickly assessed the fact that he wasn't just not saying something, but he could not speak. Did he make noises that were inarticulate? I'm not sure. I don't know what the situation was. But I do know this. They could tell that he couldn't speak. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. So he's trying to tell them, you know, I saw something, something happened in here. Now you'd about think you'd go home, call it a day after that, wouldn't you? But he didn't. As a priest, he had a duty to fulfill, and it was stipulated how long that was each year. There was a certain time period. They weren't on duty all the time, all the time, but when they were, they were there. Look what happens with it, verse 23. It came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. So he fulfilled what he was supposed to be doing. You have these amazing events happen. He's seen Gabriel. All this has went on. He can no longer talk. But he continued with what he was supposed to be doing at that altar of incense every day until he was supposed to come off duty. That really matches the fact that all those years with that disappointment of not having a child, that he and Elizabeth remained blameless serving the Lord. I said this morning while I was preaching, I said I mentioned a time when my heart was very cold and distant towards the Lord. It seemed like the Bible was a closed book to me even when I opened it and tried to read it. And during that time, I was still doing the things I was supposed to be doing. I was a Bible college student. I was in advanced part of my Bible college training. I uh, had been preaching a lot. I was preaching three times a week. Bible college classes, taking the test, witnessing for the Lord, working full-time, doing the whole thing. And during that whole time, while their coldness and emptiness was there, just kept doing what I was supposed to be doing. There's nothing hypocritical about that. There'd be something hypocritical if you jumped up while your preacher said, I just wanted to say the Lord was so precious to me today. If I jumped up and been totally transparent, I'd say, I just want to say, I can't find Him. <laughs> He's here somewhere, but I've never lost Him. Not on my radar. But I told you this morning, it's vital to keep doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. God help us to get away from that shallow Christianity that only serves because of inspiration. Instead, follow the type of belief that says we do what's right because it's right to do. And so, they did that. They were good examples of that. And uh, God blessed that. And so then, of course, in verse 24, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein He looked on me to take away my reproach among men. And she, uh, she was rejoicing that the Lord had been gracious to her. She was, seems to be a bit overawed by the fact of God's goodness to her. And all that happened with that. Now go down to verse 57. 
It says, Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. Exactly as had been told by Gabriel would happen. And she's a Jewish lady. Ladies, anywhere, this is a big event, and it is. It's a miracle of God, it's a precious thing. It ought to be a blessing, it ought to be held in a sacredness that will cause people to be discreet, to be proper, to be right about how they deal with these things, the birth of children and such. Way too many people are way too loose with things about that. Private matters and things that should not be broadcast around. So she she enjoyed and she's she the baby's there. They're excited. Verse 58. And her neighbors and her cousins. Now you get neighbors and cousins in the Jewish community, you got a lot of folks. Heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. They're excited about this. Came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. That's when they would name him. And they called him Zacharias, not Joseph, as has been earlier reported. Um, <laughs> and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. I just think this is kind of funny. It's not unusual for their culture. But the cousins and the neighbors said, Here's what his name's going to be. Now hold on, cousin neighbor. You don't get a vote on my kid's name. Right? But they have a little different way of doing things. And so they, they did. They're in there. You're talking about, you think you've had nosy neighbors before. You need to name that one. I don't know what. And name that child Manna. What is it? Um, and so, verse 61, this is even funnier. They, so Elizabeth says, not so. That's where he declared it. Look like Zacharias. That's his dad's name. Mom says no to the cousins and neighbors. <laughs> they try to bypass her. Look what they say. And she said, but his name shall be called John, verse 60. And they said unto her, there's none of thy kindred that is called by this name. What are you talking about? No one's got that name. They've got an opinion, don't they? Verse 62. And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. <laughs> and he asked for a writing table and wrote saying, look at the phrasing. His name is John. <laughs> you think he got the point? What do you want? You know, they're signing to a guy who can hear him. You know, what do you want? <laughs> Baby's name. What do you, I mean, whatever you do. Okay. What shall we call this child? He gets a writing tablet. Remember Gabriel back here? You're going to have a son. His name's John. How's that going to happen? See you after a while. What do we call him? His name is John. Well, I love the fact that he said that child came from God. And whatever normal operations of God create God's creation that He used for that birth to be there, 
still came from God. We need to understand that children are a gift from God. May we always treat them with the respect of toward the God that gave them. And so what happens, he said his name is John, and they marveled all. They're like, oh. And his mouth was opened immediately. I love it. His name was John. Oh, am I glad that's over. Wow. Um, I got something to say. He's excited. He's excited. He's not been able to say anything. He's not been able to talk about this. And they, he got excited about this. He, and he spake. First thing he did, he praised God. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll tell you how good God is. Let me brag on God here a while. And fear came on all that dwelt round about them. I bet. It's like, what in the world? And all these things were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now look at what Zechariah says, and let's just enjoy just a few verses here. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He hath visited and redeemed His people. John is not the Redeemer, but the forerunner has come, which means the Redeemer is right behind Him. John is not that light, but he's going to bear witness to that light. <laughs> and John will be born before Jesus, and John will go to glory before Jesus returns home. Look what happens. He's praising God for this. And he says, <clears throat> verse 69, hath raised up a horn of salvation. That's the idea of strength and fulfillment. For us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all them that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He sware to our father Abraham, that He would grant unto us, look at this, this, this captured me, that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, and here's their heart's desire, might serve Him without fear. Let's just serve God. In holiness. How are we going to serve God? In holiness. And righteousness. Before Him all the days of our life. Then He's addressing John. As what the Father is saying to His Son here. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. Thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto His people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. What happened to that child? He grew and waxed strong in spirit, and was in the deserts till the day of His showing unto Israel. And He had a schooling from God in the land of obscurity. And He was a bright shining light for a brief time. 
because he did a great service to his God. It was a great blessing to his parents. All kinds of neat stuff in there. Let's pray together, all right? Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for the clarity of your Bible. God, thank you that we get to serve you. You've done some marvelous things. God, it's, it's fascinating to see how you've worked. And Lord, we're glad we get to be a part of your lineage because of our salvation in Christ. And Lord, help us to use our days wisely, that we may honor you and that we may be useful vessels to you. Thank you for recording this. Thank you for preserving this. Thank you for allowing us tonight to hear about it. I pray you'll help us, Lord, to be a blessing to others and be pleasing to you. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Stand together, please. I don't know what.